0: Hello and welcome to episode 31 of booze podcast. I'm Sam and I'm Ollie and we are back for part two. I'm so excited.
1: I'm sure y'all are too since you had to wait a whole week. Ollie only had to wait a day. (laughs) I know but it was still a long wait. part we thought well let's just record the hell out of all these episodes
0: (laughs) we're gonna whip them out (laughs) yes
1: which i feel very spoiled like back to back of sam this is a treat (laughs) you get to relax drink your wine i know eat my little cuties so got my little cuties before i recorded i was like shit like i haven't had anything to eat,
0: and I'm gonna drink this wine, so I better <laughs> get something. <laughs> I actually did something this morning that I didn't think I was gonna do, but uh, going back to the bad Rona, because um, so many people are dying, they are actually asking for volunteers for uh, mortuary students and funeral directors to go and help with bodies. So I signed up. So we'll see what happens with that, but yeah. we are crossing
1: our fingers cuz that would be a really awesome experience. I mean, in I mean, right now it's terrible that this is all happening of course, but mm-hmm. um to be able to contribute in any type of way
0: I think is is really awesome. Yeah, and they're like, "Do you want to travel within like your like within Texas? Do you want to go like with all the other states?" And I was like, "I'll just go anywhere. Like if you need me, I'll go." So I don't know how I'll fit school and all that together, but we'll make it work if I do end up getting selected. Because I'm still a student, so I'm sure they're going to want like actual like funeral directors off the top. But, hey. It would be a great learning experience. You can learn yeah. as you go. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I don't know.
1: And Matt was like, just do it. And I was like, okay. So I signed up. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So he was all about it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome.
0: Thing, new with you overnight? <laughs> um, I,
1: no, no. I, I have been trying to watch like a scary movie each night but then at dinner a few days ago we started talking about the golden girls (laughs) and i realized (laughs) i had not watched the golden girls like i don't know anything about it so i started that two days ago so every night i watch like seven episodes (laughs) is it a pleasure it is it's so good it's so good but one thing i didn't talk about last time was that i did watch a movie um, that y'all might appreciate, um, it's called Coherence, and I think you can watch it on, ooh, you can watch it on Amazon, yeah, Amazon Prime, um, but it's very, it's low-budget movie, and it's about, it's a group of friends who have a dinner party, they have a dinner party, and then this comment is coming through, so, They're like, you know, whatever, this comment, whatever, it's pretty cool, it's happening, but it kind of alters reality, and they don't know, like, what's going on, Um, so I've watched that, and then there was this other movie I watched a few weeks ago about a dinner party also, like, I guess this is a theme that I was not aware about, (laughs) like, there are some writers out there whose, like, biggest fear is going to a dinner party and being stuck with these people,
0: like, because both movies... I don't know. I've been to some parties where I'm like, "Holy shit, I want to leave," and really? I just can't. <laughs> yeah. See, I knock on wood.
1: Like, I guess I've been lucky, or I only hang out with people that I like because I have not. And I, so, I guess yeah, I guess that's a thing. Like having being obligated to go to dinner parties and it just being it. weird, weird vibes all around. And then the worst part: getting stuck with these people until like possibly the end of time yeah no thanks <laughs> <laughs> but they're fun movies so check it out i know bad movies to, about like or bad time to watch movies about you know being trapped in your house and not having
0: <laughs> being able to leave <laughs> uh what was that movie you're talking about a couple of weeks ago a uh, pastor raptor or Pastor. Um, Has- yeah, Velocipaster.
1: I think Oh, it is. yeah.
0: Um, we were flipping through Amazon Prime and Matt saw it and I'm like, oh, let's watch it. And he's like, no. So I tried to convince him to watch it and he's like, no. It's
1: it's like all the cheesiness you need. Like, it's not a serious watch. I had a good
0: time watching it. I think we all did. Um I maybe mean, we'll have to trick him and put it on and just be like, nope, that's what we're watching. Yeah, like while you're cleaning or something. All right, were you ready to get into
1: this? Yes, let's do it. I'm tired of waiting, Sam let's get
0: into part two part two so these are actual cases oh it's actual case um if we have time i might dig into other cases i don't know how long they're gonna take so we'll we'll play it by ear here (laughs) but um in 2005 a funeral home named daniel george funeral home in brooklyn was convicted of illegally harvesting bones and tissues from the deceased inside a funeral home and selling to companies Okay, I can never pronounce his last name, but Michael Master Marino, in 01 oh, oh wait, 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 okay references, <laughs> before I forget. Um, so there's a documentary called Body Snatchers of New York. Um, which is it's all right. Like you get your information from it. It's all right. It's not the best documentary. Mm-hmm. There's some really interesting parts in there, and I'll kind of talk about that a little bit later. Um, but his wife also wrote, um, a book on discovering the the crimes that her husband did it is called the body snatchers wife my life with a monster and her name is barbara Rifel, yeah r-i-e-f-e-l and i'll kind of talk about her a little bit too so in 2005 a funeral home daniel george funeral home was convicted of illegally harvesting bones tissues all that um and michael mastromino in oh one opened a biomedical tissue service company named Biomedical Tissue Services, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Barbara, his wife at the time, said, when I first met Michael, I actually thought that he was the bodyguard of a mobster who used to frequently frequent the tanning salon of the second job that I had. He was just a strong, silent, amazing presence. I had chills. I couldn't stop thinking about him, and he obviously couldn't stop thinking about me. The couple who were nicknamed Ken and Barbie tied the knot in 1992, and oh my god, they are, like, beautiful people. Like, if you just- you can look up a picture like just beautiful oh yeah they are an attractive (laughs) couple (laughs) all right so between 1999 and 2000 barbara discovered he had a drug problem his office called me and told me that he passed out on the floor one day with a syringe in his arm Oprah.com reported Mastromino's addiction eventually cost him his dental license in 2002. That year, he was also arrested for possession and distribution. In 2002, he also became licensed by New York State to supply tissue banks and manufacturers of biological surgical instruments, the New York Times reported. Which, you you get all these charges on you, and they're still going to allow you to manufacture biological surgical instruments and such? I just... I guess it was a lot more lenient back then. I don't know if well, it was his own company, right? Yeah, he was ultimately starting Biomedical Tissue Services, but um, like they licensed him to be able to supply surgical instruments and all that. I would think with ch- charges already on him that they wouldn't license him. Because now I'm sure if you tried to do it now, they'd be like, "Oh no." Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. I mean, I don't know because I, mean, I could see if he was employed by some, like if he was an employee. Mm-hmm then they'd be like no you can't work for me like you have charges but
0: since he owns the company maybe it's different see i thought of it because as a fun, like you can open your own funeral home if you're licensed but you have to get approved for a license and if you have any past charges they can completely deny you for a license Mm -mm. so that's where i'm like maybe it was a little more lenient back then than it is now yeah maybe because what year was this in
1: 2002 okay not not too long who knows? Maybe there's just not a lot of people um yeah. monitoring, you know.
0: <laughs> Somebody wasn't doing their yeah. job. <laughs> I Maybe. mean, things Yeah, I mean, things change so quickly, so so what is tissue banking, which is the whole like premises of his business? Tissue banking is the collection of bones, skin, and tendons after death and is separate from organ donation, which we established last episode. If you guys haven't listened to the last episode, Go back and listen to the last episode just you kind of have a basis idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, and if
1: you did listen uh, to the episode but needed a little refresher, Sam discussed how it falls into, like, the parts of your body fall into two separate camps. So if you want to, like, touch mm-hmm. on that, um, like, all your organs, and then the tissue matter would be your skin, corneas,
0: right? Organs falls under heart, kidneys, pancreas, lungs, liver, intestines, hands, and face, Tissue is cornea, skin, heart valves, bone, blood vessels, connective tissues. And then there's also bone marrow and stem cell. So basically what we're talking about is gonna be the cornea, skin, heart valves, bone, blood vessels and connective tissues. That's that's everything that he's in charge of collecting for, for his mm-hmm. company. So one donor can help up to 80 people and an entire body is supposedly worth $200,000. Michael reportedly made between 10,000 to $15,000 per body for just like the tissue category. And Michael thought that tissue banking was an untapped market in funeral home industry. And there was a reason why funeral homes do not do anything with tissue banking. Like, there's just, there's a reason why they're separate and they're not supposed to be linked together.
1: Wait, are you going to get into into that?
0: Or can I ask you now what that reason is? It's just, there's a lot of process and legal things. You have to do everything correctly. And if you're just like, oh, here's a body and I can take it, you just cannot take it. And we're going to talk about that here. Like, you'll get the premise of it a little bit more. As I'm going through the story it's just you funeral homes are should only basically focus on like embalming and cremation and that aspect nothing to do with like collecting
1: mm-hmm.
0: body parts for new recipients you know that's completely different yeah in Kings County in Brooklyn New York a police officer came in with the witness this woman had purchased the funeral home and was concerned about mishandling finances and they don't name the police officer they don't name the woman I'm assuming they wanted to stay anonymous I don't name a couple people in this documentary just because I want to give them the privacy. If you watch the documentary, they're in there. I just didn't want to put names on blast and all that, so. Um, but I do have, like, the big names in here, so. In speaking with Josh Handshaft, the chief assistant attorney, his interest peaked when she told him that there was a bone program going on upstairs in a secret room of the funeral home. He didn't believe her as true. But he pressed her for more information, which how many times have we heard? Like, I didn't really believe it, but I thought I would kind of go along with it. Like, <laughs> we hear it all the time. <laughs> um, now, my thing is, too, if he hadn't been interested in it and he would have blown her off, who knows how long this operation would have been going on. Like,
1: mm-hmm. it's crazy.
0: So she revealed to Hanshaft that the bodies would come in. Uh, through the front door and doctors would then wheel them out through the back and it was constant activity more than a typical funeral home she believed she stated that when touring the facility she saw them working on a body in the embalming room later named the cutting room and had found fedex receipts that were being sent to a company called rti and i'll circle back to them in a second so and this is like when she's just touring the home to like purchase it so they're not really hiding anything it's just out in the open Mm-hmm. So the deceased were prepped on a table where they would be washed and have things like entire bones and Achilles tendons removed and like everything I listed above. They would just take everything that they could. They removed the tissues and tendons and would place them on ice and then set them to send them distribution centers where it would go to hospitals to people awaiting.
1: So it was the hospitals
0: that were purchasing well these parts. So they would go to processing facilities. So the processing places would turn like cadaver bones into parts for say like a hip replacement and they show this in the documentary like the actual process of them turning mush into like shapes it, it's so fascinating so if you do want to watch the documentary go ahead and check it out. He essentially started a contract with three Wall Street companies which were LifeCell, Regeneration Technologies Inc which is RTI and Tutagen and these were the companies that would take what he sent to them they would like test it clean it and they would send it to the hospitals because it was cleared to, to be able to be used. So they got so big that he started reaching out to other funeral directors around New York and eventually they expanded into New York. In 2005, Josh Handshaft finally was able to subpoena documents from RTI and the funeral home to track down what was going on. Soon they realized bodies were coming in from all over. So it started out with one funeral home in New York and then it became almost all the funeral homes in New York and then it expanded into New Jersey like it was just getting bigger and bigger so you can imagine all these bodies just coming in and out. It's so hard to trace everything. And Michael was shocked that he was being subpoenaed, so he contacted a lawyer that day. And you cannot buy bones, but you can charge a recovering fee. So when the lawyer initially looked at it, he was like, okay, he's not charging for the parts, he's just charging for a recovering fee to remove these parts from the body. So everything was presented and appeared to be legal so that's where the lawyer was like why why are the police pressing this what is the issue there's documents here everything seems legal so josh handshaft began to investigate the paperwork and signatures were not adding up there were different signatures in places where it should have been the same person and someone was falsifying documents and not well so you know when you sign a document and it's like sign sign your name here and then do a signature here and then a couple pages later it wants that same signature like there was Mm -hmm. just different names in all these parts where it should have been the same signature like someone just was very reckless with it so after confirming falsified records they went to interview families and over 95 percent said they did not consent to donations so bodies had to be exhumed to check if loved ones had been desecrated oh my god yeah as soon Mm, well i guess sorry to cut you off here but that's kind of um sorry i just put a cutie (laughs) in
1: my mouth um (laughs) a reason why funeral homes don't dwell like don't do that practice Mm because it's it's so easy for like an employee to be like oh i can easily sell this let me just (laughs) scrap this little cornea off no one's
0: gonna know yeah and that's why we're not that's that's why it should just be completely separate so yeah and Mm because you can see there if you google there's so many stories of this happening because people are like oh whatever they won't know eventually the truth comes out like always so as soon as the story was reported on it was Everywhere There was reports of that they were chopping up bodies and removing limbs and him and his staff were called ghouls. Like, they just blew it up as, like, body snatchers in New York. Um, it's, it's, like, you know how headlines like to, like, just blow it out of proportion. Mm-hmm. So, in the documentary, um, there was a man whose dad died of, pan- pan- I believe, pancreatic cancer. Um, and he didn't want his father embalmed, he didn't want his body touched, his body had been through enough, he just wanted like a simple quick burial and like a really nice wooden casket because his dad was a carpenter and he just wanted him to lay in peace. So he had given no consent to have his father's tissue donated and unfortunately, once they did exhume it and they did an autopsy, his father's bones had all been replaced with PVC pipe. (gasps) Oh my god, the bones? Mm -hmm. So, so I'm going to throw in a little mortuary fact here that PVC pipe is actually not like an uncommon thing when it comes to like reconstruction. Bodies can even be filled with like sawdust or newspaper to kind of give them the correct shape because I mean some bodies go through t- some traumatic stuff and we have to get really creative. Mm. Um, so the issue is not really the fact of the PVC pipe it's more that there was no consent given to even have this man's bones removed and the fact that they hid it by using the PVC pipe and just falsifying records like without consent you're essentially just mutilating someone for personal gain so
1: yeah no i didn't know like i didn't think about that that how it's kind of common to use that whenever consent is given but the I, i just can't imagine or like i empathize with the shock of of no or of um learning that your loved one's have been replaced with PVC. Yeah. Without your, without your knowledge or without your, your the consent of the family. Yeah. Like
0: you think they're finally laid to rest, and you get like a notice a couple years later that there's a sketchy stuff going on, and you're hoping and praying that it wasn't your family member, and you just find out. Like I can't even imagine. But even worse than that um, was families didn't even get loved ones ashes back. So who knows what they even believe that they got. So
1: that's what yeah i was gonna i was thinking about that earlier but i knew you were gonna cover it like for those who wanted to be cremated like did he oh well or are you gonna go through this <laughs> okay again? okay okay i'll be
0: quiet so this, <laughs> i think this is the worst entire bodies were skinned and every bone was removed for cremation so who knows what the family members even got back in urns if it was even their loved ones like i'm assuming maybe they just burn the organs like and gave the organs in ash i don't even know because they were basically only collecting tissue and bones so who even knows i've also heard stories completely separate from this of people like cremating animals and giving family members mm-hmm. back animal cremations instead of their loved ones so yeah that's evil and very evil and if that wasn't bad enough body record <laughs> <It> gets worse <laughs> <It> gets worse <laughs> Um, body records were falsified, so victims were made to be younger, made to appear healthy, and there was no proper screening procedures. If they could harvest it, they would harvest it, and they did not care about the recipients and what that effect would have on recipients. So many of them were unhealthy, and unless from a tragic incident, you know, you don't really die because you're healthy, you die because you're sick. Um, Mm -hmm. so people who received these tissues and bones were later made to test for HIV and other infectious diseases. Um, when processing companies receive the tissue, they do need to check to ensure that it isn't contaminated, so for, like I said, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis B, all those things, and they do it first by testing a sample of blood. Once that process is complete, they can check if the tissue or bone is able to be used, but the bone DNA was, sorry, the blood DNA was not matching the tissue DNA that was sent, and this wasn't discovered until police had samples of blood and did their own testing in their own labs. So they had to go to these processing companies and be like, I need the blood, any blood that you've gotten from Michael so that we can test it and match it up with his tissues, and they just did not match at all. So, oh basically, Michael's company was intentionally sending untested tissue that could be contaminated with clean blood so it would pass the initial test. So they had, like, clean blood on hand just to give with these samples because they didn't want calls back and to be like, hey, we don't want this, and we're not paying you for it.
1: <sighs> Interesting. That's. I mean, he didn't at least think through all of that.
0: hmm He didn't think through the paperwork, like, the paper trail, but... Yeah, which makes me wonder, if you did the paper trail, would he have ever gotten caught? Like, if you did the paperwork correctly, you know? Because he was having his own employees do the signature, so it wasn't the same handwriting for every signature. He had other employees. Mm -hmm. Like, if he, yeah,
1: if he was consistent in that
0: manner. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure
1: it would have caught up eventually. Somebody would have... (laughs) somebody would have had a complication you know with their their parts or whatever and then it would have linked back to him I'm sure
0: I would hope yeah so uh, Michael did end up turning himself in and there was hundred and twenty two counts against him and he pled not guilty and was set on a 1.5 million dollar bail after his lawyer confronted him about the DNA evidence with the blood and tissue he changed his plea to guilty he admitted to forgery and taking bodies without consent, and he claims he didn't know about the, that the disease would carry to the ones receiving the parts because he thought that they would go through, like, a, a deep cleaning process, which they do. They do go through a deep cleansing process for any parts that they receive, but you can't guarantee that they're going to get everything, you know? Mm-hmm. In total, he made about $5 million looting bodies. And, like, this man was so rich that he had heaters installed under his driveway so that he wouldn't have to shovel snow. Like, he was banking money on these on these bodies and these poor victims. Um, he was, okay, so he was found guilty and he was sentenced to 58, so, sorry, to 18 to 58 years in prison, which I, I'm i like, God, that's a lot of bodies and you just, you're not even sentenced that far, you know? But then again, he didn't. Well, he did get 50 years after all. Well, well we're gonna talk about that. So he didn't get his full sentence because he did die in 2013 at the age of 49 the new york times reported and the cause was complication of uh, liver cancer that spread to his brain and bones which is kind of ironic
1: yeah i was gonna mention that well yeah he didn't
0: yeah yeah Yeah. um he said to have over (laughs) a thousand victims and over 12 people have been charged with helping in the aid of his operation And there is a strong quote from one of his victims who did end up contracting hepatitis B from one of the bodies that she received parts Mm. from. And she said that his sentence was very light compared to mine. Mine is life. Damn. Over 900 recipients of the stolen tissue brought civil suits alleging negligence against the processors that supplied tissue purchased from Biomedical Tissue Services. The and the woman who ended up getting hepatitis B, she did settle out of court for like an undisclosed amount. RTI and other human tissue processing companies which brought tissue from Biomedical Tissue Services were never prosecuted. There have been no accusations of wrongdoing on their behalf from the New York authorities. Uh, and the origins of the woman who ended up getting hepatitis B um, cannot be independently verified by public records. All of Michael's biomedical tissue services uh, documentation relating to the period before and during her surgery, so 2002 and 2003, were destroyed by metal, biomedical tissue services. So, as soon as they knew, they just started destroying documents and all that. At least she did get some money out of court, like at, like an undisclosed amount. So I'm glad she got like some. Compensation for it, but I mean, she has to live with this for the rest of her life, and who knows mm-hmm. how many other people he's affected yeah. and ruined their lives. So,
1: dang, so this is kind of like a combination of black market selling, but not like the loophole, the yeah. way to make yeah. it legal, which is like, yeah, up in every corner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you ready for the next one?
1: Yes, it gets
0: worse. We should have just named the podcast, hey, we can change it always worse. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my resources are for this is the website Reuters, R-E-U-T-E-R-S, and they did, like, it feels weird to say, like, a beautiful, like, in-depth investigation on, like, articles on body snatchers and cases, but if you look at their website, like, it is beautiful, like, it like, they put so much care and effort into this, so it's uh, just probably one of, like, the most reliable resources I've used in a while, <laughs> so... In Economy Borough in Pennsylvania, on December 12, 2014, 911 dispatchers received a call from a teenager who calmly told the operators, I found a human head. A woman's severed head was lying in the woods, 10 yards off a rural road. Her mouth was open, her eyes closed, gray-haired. Police to this day have not determined how or when she died, her age, why she was decapitated, or how she ended up in the woods. What they do believe is that she was a victim of body snatchers or body brokers. She was dismembered professionally, says uh, Michelle Vitali, an anatomy professor at Edinburgh University. Pathologist Cyril Wretch, a veteran of more than 20,000 autopsies, agreed. We see a rather neat surgical dissection, what said after examining crime scene photos, somebody took their time. And, like, we've already discussed before, unfortunately, a lot of, like, death care industry and body brokers have been linked to similar strange cases in the past. I mean, like, all of last episode and already with this first episode, like, the first story in this episode. So, there was a Mm Detroit-based body broker named Arthur Rathburn, and we'll talk about him later, and he was found to be storing human heads and stacking them directly on top of each other without any protective barrier. Heads with an S. Many heads. (laughs) I (laughs) know. I know. (laughs) and it's wild mm -hmm. (laughs) and an airline employee in arkansas discovered 40 severed heads being shipped in a plastic container in 2010 in texas police found an entire cadaver laying by the side of the road it had fallen from a van on the way to a body broker in colorado the driver hadn't noticed that the body was missing so body brokers are kind of people who deal with donated bodies So they're in Mm -hmm. charge of taking these donated bodies and giving them to medical, medical research or medical places or students, um, which I know you had kind of mentioned briefly last episode, too.
1: Oh, yes, yes. And a little fun fact, which I probably already said on this some episode, who knows, um, about Texas State, how (laughs) (laughs) us bobcats have um, one of the only body farms Mm-hmm. And it's not that far from where I live. Um, I don't think they do, don't allow visitors, but, like, if you're a student, then you can go. And that's how they study. So I want to be a Bobcat for life. So I <laughs> Or I am one, and I want to be one, like, forever. So I've thought about donating my body. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and actually, mortuary students get to go. I don't know when oh, that will happen bright. with everything. Yeah. You did tell me that. Oh, I'm so jealous so eventually one day i'll be checking out those body farms so excited <laughs> they say it smells horrible so <laughs> um so in hindsight it's really not that strange to believe that there wasn't a homicide let that led to this woman's head being found in the woods at this point i don't even think it's homicide i really just agree with the fact that it had to be like body broker and there's more facts as to why they think that that we'll cover too So, in the days after the head was found, authorities used cadaver dogs to scour the area. They also sought DNA from the woman. She had been embalmed, and unfortunately, there was no evidence in the forest, and the remains held no DNA because of the embalming chemicals uh, that were used, so they destroyed all possible traces of evidence on her. The weirdest thing of all is that her eyes had been removed and replaced with rubber balls, which isn't normal for death care practice. Um, Mm, Yeah. Yeah, so typically, if for some reason there's not an eye, we use cotton to kind of, like, stuff it and make a fake eye it's cheaper it's easier to get a hold of versus like actual rubber balls like children rubber balls um, mm-hmm. and there's just no logical reason as to why to put rubber balls in eye sockets. investigators did pull three of her teeth and were able to determine that she grew up in an area where the water wasn't fluoridated? fluoridated? Yeah there was no fluoride in the water. Yeah yeah fluoridated Yeah. Um, which I, it always amazes me that you can use teeth to find out these things about people like what they ate or like their type of you can just find so much from teeth that i never mhm like they're i think like what they are their
1: age and diet mm-hmm. um, but i know like the fluoride sits... <laughs> cuz this is like a little off topic but <laughs> how they they make fluoride free toothpaste mhm and me and gabriel went on this whole like discussion on why you need fluoride <laughs> <laughs> so Anyways, yeah, but in this case, it allowed them to find like where she's from mm-hmm. more or less,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and they ended up calling the woman Jane Doe, and Jane Doe's skin had been cut raggedly around the fr- raggedly around the front of her neck, uh, but the cut beneath the skin was smooth and exact. Vitali also noticed that two slits on the back of her neck and the woman's cervical spine was gone. The cuts su- suggested the spine was explicitly removed, which is why they believed that it had to do with body brokers um and toxology tests suggested that the woman may have suffered from chronic pain and that paramedics tried to resuscitate her around the time of her death authorities believe she was older than 50 when she died which again that's just crazy that you can tell that they tried to resuscitate her like you can just Mm -hmm. find out so much from bodies it's amazing um and gal a 40 year law enforcement veteran who takes pride in solving cold cases said i just won't give up hope because i keep thinking that something is going to break this loose for us gal said someone is going to think of something that is going to help us solve this and i'm going to post a photo of a sketch that they made of her uh, with the resources for this and when we do our photo post just so you guys can kind of see and if you won't if she sparks like an old memory or something say something you know so i'll be sure to put up that sketch and I won't put a picture where DiCaprio did it. I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> I'll put the sketch up.
1: <laughs> okay, so they never figured out who she
0: was. No, they never figured out who she was. They never figured out how she ended up there. They, they don't have any leads. It's just a cold case. So they think it's –
1: they are assuming that it's due to body brokers, but do they think it's, like, legal body brokers or illegal body brokers? I'm thinking illegal
0: because <laughs> – Yeah, because that's,
1: like, how do you – if you're legal and that's your job –
0: you wouldn't be you, losing a head i was gonna say how do you lose someone's head yeah but i think it's strange that the eyes were removed like it had to be like some type of legal practice because if they harvested her eyes they have to hide the fact that her eyes are missing you know so i don't and maybe def- they just took the eyes and we're just
1: like stashing the head they're like we, we're just gonna throw this head out
0: we, who knows we don't need either. it anymore yeah (laughs) but it also makes me think that it couldn't have been like a funeral home because rubber balls are expensive like if you're buying a lot of rubber balls and extracting a lot of pieces from bodies you're not going to invest in rubber balls you would just use the cotton because that's like a commonly used thing
1: yeah so it's definitely someone who doesn't have experience or no or doesn't have experience of like legal practices or normal Mm -hmm. practices like that
0: yeah Alright, so we're going to get into the last story. I think I saved the best one for last. This one is fucking nuts. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you remember earlier, I said a man by the name of Arthur Rathburn and those heads. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay, so Arthur Rathburn, Stored Bodies, does... uh, Destined for medical education and training in grisly conditions, he dismembered bodies with chainsaws, and he is accused of endangering clients, mostly healthcare workers, by renting them cadavers and severed heads that were infected with HIV and hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and like I briefly mentioned last episode, um, selling or leasing body parts is not a federal crime if it's for medical medical things. Um, but it is largely unrestricted in all but a few states. So you have to be really careful, and you have to have the exact paperwork for everything if you aren't selling to medical students. Um, so Rathburn was hired in 1984 by the University of Michigan Body Donation Program, which uses cadavers for anatomy classes and research. University archives showed that Rathburn helped the program rebound from complaints by donor families and, and about poor customer service. So he was kind of like, I guess, HR for families. Mm -hmm. had complaints um and in 1988 rathburn was prominently featured in a monthly ann arbor observer newspaper he he talked about the significance of cadavers in the classroom and told a whimsical tale about how he entered into the business and that's because a friend bet him ten dollars that he wouldn't apply to a funeral home um two years later rathburn left the school for allegations of misconduct and um he kind of had the his file hidden so other people couldn't search it but a couple years ago some supposed friends i don't know if this is true or not said it was because he mishandled donor ashes which after you hear about him i don't think that's too far off that he did mishandle ashes um rathburn (laughs) was uh, set out in the early 1990s to stealth body parts one person rathburn sold parts to was ed At the time, Ed was a doctor's assistant in Pittsburgh who began working with Rathburn to supply body parts for research and surgical seminars. I would call Art and say, I need half a dozen human heads, he said. Later, he worked for Rathburn handling body parts at medical seminars in New Orleans, San Francisco, and Chicago. I won't lie to you. It was creepy, said Uchenlob. You arrive at this place, and there he is with a huge ice chest, and you open it, and there's just a dozen heads just wrapped up. It takes a special person to do oh this in the mid 2000s new york state health inspectors reprimanded him twice for failure to provide documentation that bodies he acquired were in fact willingly donated in 2004 a new york inspector traveled to rathburn's warehouse in detroit rathburn was notified of the visit a week in advance but the inspector still found serious issues that demonstrated how body parts can be mishandled and the lack of accountability after being donated dissected and shipped to customers which I can't even imagine if you had a week in advance and they're still finding flaws I can't and you had a week to prepare I can't even imagine what his warehouse looked like a week prior before knowing that these people were going to come and why would you even give a heads up that you're Mm. coming wouldn't you if you're an inspector just show up to see what the real condition of a place is
1: Mm Mhm.
0: yeah um it's a really nice inspector I guess yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) or maybe like I don't know
0: who knows yeah. <laughs> um, among the problems Rathburn again could not produce documents providing that bodies were donated willingly uh, there was no search records there was no such records for whole bodies and body segments received to us at the facility the report said the records showed that from 2005 through 2007 Rathburn's business continued unbaited outside New York as he distributed more than 200 severed heads this man loved severed heads <laughs> It was like his specialty. Yeah. Walter Mitchell, a former owner of BioGift, an Oregon body donation firm, said he stopped supplying body parts to Rathburn after a 2006 incident. A week after shipping two human torsos to Rathburn in Detroit, Michael got a call from the airline that transported them. No one had picked up the packages at the airport. So, like, a week of two torsos just sitting at an airport. They were leaking. They stung. <laughs> that's
1: so crazy like sometimes i think whenever i you know travel and all the luggage comes down i look at all the bags and i think or like packages or whatever and i'm like you yeah, have no idea what the fuck this mm-hmm. is <laughs> yep <laughs> Ooh,
0: people are weird man people are weird in 2006 officials told rathburn he could no longer ship bodies to new york until he resolved their concerns. so about the paperwork and like where all these body parts were going but in 2007 new york health officials issued rothburn a provisional license allowing him to resume operations there so it was just so relaxed like
1: new york new york right? yeah new york
0: they're just all loosey-goosey with all their <laughs> body regulations right. By late 2008, Rathburn's company declared bankruptcy. It reported assets of 72,000 and debts of <laughs> a debt of 621,000, and it owed 210,000 in back taxes and at least 175,000 to companies supplying body parts. So, even though he was filing for bankruptcy, he was still buying parts. As part of the bankruptcy filing, Rathburn provided a list of assets. The inventory included 14 chairs. Ten file cabinets, ninety-one heads, eighty-one spines, <laughs> six hips, and the co- and a copy of the Hippocrates. Co- hypocris- oh my God, I can't say this word. Hi-po- <laughs> Hippocratic oath. Jesus. Uh, and he <laughs> and he put the total market value of the body parts at a hundred and sixty thousand. In two thousand ten, and again in two thousand eleven, federal law enforcement records show Rathburn was stopped returning from Canada each time he was stopped he was carrying 10 severed heads uh in 2012 a picnic style cooler containing eight heads in red liquid arrived at the detroit airport borders against and agents confronted rathburn rathburn told them that the liquid wasn't blood but listerine mouthwashed used to proverb specimens um and i will say i'm in a wet specimen group I think I've talked about it before. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I was like, wait, what? I was like,
1: wait, no, I didn't know
0: that. <laughs> um, and I have seen cases where they temporarily do use like alcohol like uh like concentrated alcohol or sometimes mouthwash if they're like mm-hmm. in a pinch and they need to preserve stuff. So it could have been Listerine, it could have been blood. They really they didn't test it. So Over the span of those three years, so 2010 and 2013, agents documented two other similar cross-border shipments, one that included a severed penis. But agents did not raid Rathburn's warehouse until December of 2013. In the meantime, he acquired, sold, and rented out more body parts and bodies. And then
1: remind us again, especially for me and our listeners, where was he getting
0: these body parts again? He was just buying them from, like, distributors who were, like, getting donated bodies and he was buying the donated bodies and he was just like cutting them up and then sending them out again so huh so because like he had a business
1: where this was legal mm -hmm. or okay okay and so not
0: just it's not like anybody can just purchase yeah no you gotta be like licensed and all this stuff to be able to like purchase bodies and body parts Mm -hmm. so yeah he was in charge of like selling them to students or for schools or anyone who needed them okay in that span of time rathburn also sent a cadaver like which i mentioned earlier a cadaver infested with hepatitis b and hiv to a medical convention in washington dc no attendees were harmed although they didn't learn about the fact that he had sent this body to like way way later until he was actually like caught so in august of 2003 three sorry in august of 2013 new york officials inspected the detroit warehouse once more and again reported problems with rathburn's ability to keep proper records for each body part no other actions were taken against him at the time and rathburn continued to acquire bodies no other actions were taken against him and rathburn continued to acquire bodies for five thousand dollars and heads for 500 until late 2013 so he was buying actual bodies for five thousand and heads for just 500 oh wow just 500 hmm now, me, who tried to get a human skull, <laughs> that skull alone was, like, over $1,000. Like, a legal skull that I could obtain. Like, you need to get full clearance and all that. And just the skull mm-hmm. alone was, like, $1,000. So, the fact that you can buy a head for 500 <laughs> But then... Are you saying that's a... Well,
1: the skull is, like, the main part. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, when an unschooled person trying to get a human head, it's, like, easily, like, $1,000 to $2,000. So... What, what what were you going to do with that skull? Uh, put it in the podcast
1: room. <laughs> uh, man, that's just that's just giving <laughs> the spirits license. Poltergeist. <laughs> You're inviting a poltergeist. I, I love bones. I don't know. I just. I do too, but I paint them and I draw them. I don't <laughs> try to collect them. Well, I can't say that. I have skulls on my, like actual skulls on my wall,
0: but they're not human skulls. <laughs> I'd be nice to it <laughs> <laughs> so like I said um, he wasn't his warehouse wasn't raided till December 2013 and that wasn't until after nearly four years of investigation the FBI raided Rathburn's warehouse office and inside authority said agents found thousands of body parts Rathburn stored human heads by stacking them directly on top of each other without any protective barrier authorities said in the court filing rathburn was arrested in january 2016 by then he told agents he was homeless and living out of his van the then 64 year old man was sentenced to nine years in federal prison in 2018 so he'll be released in 2027 at the age of 71 so what did they get him on like what charges basically he didn't have proper documentation oh and he he mainly got it for failure to disclose that they were in uh he was sending out bodies that were infected with hepatitis b or HIV. Uh, Um, the other thing they tried to nail him on was on the documentation, but initially that was the nine years for sending that body to, um, the convention. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that he didn't have paperwork to show that bodies were actually donated is what sketched to me, and, like, did you, where did you get these other bodies and if you don't have proper documentation for them?
1: Yeah, and the ones that are, um, that were infected with HIV, like, Where did he get those? Because wouldn't the initial source, if it was sold properly
0: or legally, like, they should get in trouble, too, for doing that. Yeah, because they need to be clean and free of disease as much as possible. You can't always get everything. I mean, there's always that, like, warning sign that, you know, you could possibly contract anything from them. But, yeah, so it makes me wonder, like, where exactly he got these bodies from.
1: And I wonder, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but we do talk often on this podcast about how a lot of crimes are overlooked when it comes to like marginalized populations and i'm pretty sure people in like the lgbt community back then especially back then um suffered you know violent crimes and possibly even murder i wonder if that might have been a cause also like no one was looking for people Mm -hmm. like these people Maybe there was somebody out there that was doing illegal or like black market kind of selling of these
0: bodies, and nobody thought to look. Yeah, that that's my thought too. I'm wondering if someone uh, was working behind the, behind the scenes and was killing people, and like here's a body for you, and here's this, and
1: yeah, because I'm sure this guy did not care where they came from. Like he seems like he had a legit problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah my strange addiction
0: <laughs> human heads <laughs> like, to the max oh my gosh yeah i just can't even imagine like investigating this and walking into his actual warehouse and like how did he contain the smell where did he have giant oh, freezers no. like how so um they
1: didn't have pictures or you didn't find pictures of his home there isn't you know if they took there's anything? a
0: picture of outside but I didn't see anything from inside. But I can t- try and double check. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Probably no. Probably not. But although I did see one where they pulled like a, a baby fetus out of like a drawer in like a red liquid. Mm, I see it. Yeah, it just looks like it's all outside. Like they have everything covered. There's a bunch of like trash bags, but I don't see anything from inside. Jeez, and where did they get that? You know. Mm-hmm. Because it's a perfectly intact fetus. Yeah. And it's oh my it's definitely not fully developed. Like oh yeah no but it also reminds but. me of the story of the woman who was like Do you want to buy my five month old fetus yeah oh my god you can look if you want i mean he wasn't a bad looking dude when he was younger Oof. but <laughs> now that i know i'm just like "Ugh, you're a <laughs> creep with that handlebar stash i know my gosh and then actually so when you do you see the picture of him yeah. in, like with the handlebar stash do you see that it with a coat mm-hmm, do you see that little yeah. like Table, but that looks like it has like um, arms on the side. Right behind him, next to him. Okay, so we have those in the mortuary department when we're dissecting bodies, Um, and I'll post this picture so you guys can see it too. And um, it's like a, it's like refrigerated. So there's like a hole inside where the body is, and you just kind of open and close the the top if you want to like expose the body or not, so that you can work on it.
1: Wait, is this body?
0: Is this just like a weird yeah, that doesn't look real. Yeah, no, the the hand the hand and the cooler. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fake. <laughs> Clickbait. Lame. Yeah, but those are my three stories, so crazy. Wild, wild, wild. A lot of information packed, so And
1: you just covered cases that were here in the United States. Like I can't imagine in other places. Yeah. Like those are pretty horrific. I'm not saying like other places would be worse. I'm just saying like there's
0: probably more out there oh there's tons there are tons if you type in like funeral home and like body brokers and so many articles so many so i had fun kind of narrowing down well thank you yeah no i'm sure that i can tell
1: that was a lot of information to go through and a lot of thought putting or a lot of thought behind like which cases yeah
0: because i I wanted to kind of cover different aspects of everything so
1: well you did a good job
0: well thank you I hope you guys sat through all of that
1: (laughs) yes it was fun and i mean it's not like we went over time or anything we're at our normal time i know i'm gonna fall into a hole later
0: (laughs) like i'm already trying not to click on anything else yeah it's hard because once you start getting in you get lost and i think that's what took me so long because i was like looking at other stories and i'm like no sam focus focus (laughs) well good job thank you yeah But we also have a mortuary update. We do, we do. I kind of wanted to, this is more of like a discussion topic, I guess you can say, because I kind of want to get your thoughts on these things that we went over. So we went over in class the psychology of basically death, death and dying. There's a whole class that we take on psychology of death and dying. We just kind of lightly covered it in one of my classes last week. And one of the topics that we covered was approaching how to talk to children about Death and if you should take them to funeral homes or not, just to kind of like do the viewings and all that. So, we kind of covered the ages of when children start to kind of understand death. So, according to research, less than two years that they have no emotion, they don't really understand that someone's gone or dead, they have no concept of it. From two to six, they believe death is temporary and they kind of wonder what dead people do. So, they're just if you've ever gone to a funeral with kids and they're like, oh, they're sleeping, they're sleeping, they're going to wake up. That's kind of the age for that. Mm-hmm. From 6 to 10 is when you finally understand that death is final and you kind of begin to realize that, he, that themselves will die. And then, of course, like adolescence is the kind of the adult understanding of death and they kind of might ask, why me? So... Uh, my teacher was saying that when you approach children with the concept of death and talking to them about death that you need to kind of you don't want to teach them something that needs to be untaught later so saying oh daddy went on a trip or Mm -hmm. god god needed good people in heaven you don't you want to be upfront and honest with them so that they don't have this different concept of what death is and thinking that they're going to return um and i know like when pets die and they're like oh they went to go to the farm Ugh. and all of a sudden these kids want to go to the farm and like they want to see their pet at the farm it just makes it harder to understand yeah it. so they said be very upfront with them don't teach them anything that you know you can't learn and if you don't know how to approach it just tell them i don't know and i'll find out and i'll let you know um and my teacher said that last one is like the biggest one because you want them to also understand that you you don't know everything and this is just one of those topics that you might not have an answer for then you need to go find out about it so what are your thoughts like what do you think about those like two main big things about something that doesn't have to be untaught and then the i don't know
1: um i i definitely agree with the thing like not providing like not get, telling your child something or a child something that you have to unteach them later, like giving them, like you're lying, you know? Like Mm -hmm. you may not be lying intentionally, like especially if you say, you know, they're going to heaven, Um, God needed them. You might truly believe that, but that doesn't give children like the tools to conceptualize what's actually happening.
0: Yeah, because then it gets twisted because it's like, oh, well, my mom's a good person. What if God wants to take my mom and my mom's not going to be here tomorrow? Or they just kids they they start thinking of bigger things and it freaks them out so mm-hmm. yeah I
1: remember so because I've been I was trying to think like once you brought this topic up I was trying to think back to my experiences of like when I first learned what death was I guess mm-hmm. um but I really had to dig because it wasn't something that think you know thankfully I'm extremely blessed that no one extremely close to me um you know had passed away and I had to learn that way I think it was, like, my yeah. great-grandma. Um, that was, like, the first death I had dealt with. And even before then, I would go with my grandparents to funerals and stuff. Like, I, I feel like I slowly picked up on the process. And my grandma would say, the, 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 looking back on, looking in hindsight, I'm like, this is kind of bad, but <laughs> whenever <laughs> I would, I would tell my grandma I liked something, I'd be like, ooh, I like this ring. And I was young, like, really little. And she's like, well, when I die, it'll be yours
0: yes always tell
1: me that and one time and I was little like and she told me this story one time I was really little when she started saying this and I was like and when is that gonna be (laughs) (laughs) and then but then later like when every time she'd say that I would tell her back like no you're gonna live forever like I'm never gonna have it because you're gonna live forever
0: like I still tell her that yeah my aunt um she she had this pair of like butterfly like flip-flops And, um, I'd always be like, "Damn, Eddie, I love your, your shoes. And she's like, well, when I die, you can have them. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like, all right, that's fine. And I still remember that to this day. And it's just something that always like makes me like smile. Um, but I think my first like concept was death. I had a Guinea pig and she passed away. And like my parents well my mom and my stepdad they like sat me down on the kitchen floor and they like opened up her cage and they brought her out and they were like you know she, she's dead like say goodbye and they like let me pet her like body and they kind of explained you know like she she died like the, they were just so blunt about it and once finally my grandfather died and my mom told me he did he died i was like okay like it's a part of life mm-hmm. so i think actually having like that first The first time I was introduced to it made it a lot easier when it was a family member that passed.
1: Yeah, and I think that, and that this is completely my own personal perspective. Like, there's no, like, psychological, like, reasoning behind it or, like, factual reasoning. But I do kind of feel, like, I don't want to be, like, start them off early. But the sooner a child can kind of understand that that's how, that's how life is and that's kind of you know the process of life like the easier it it'll be um Mm -hmm. because I I also think like for me it was like I lived on a ranch with my grandparents and my grandparents had goats and you know livestock and those animals would just die and Mm -hmm. my grandpa would say like oh like the goat died like oh so they're no longer here that's cool yeah like so I, 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 that's why I think like it wasn't like a huge shock to me when I learned or like a huge like epif- epiphany or a huge moment in my life when I learned what death was. because um, one of the last funerals I attended, I remember my, my director at the time, like my boss she um, she was there and she, her, her kid she took her child and her kid had like a really hard time like at the mm-hmm. funeral and her kid is like in the fifth grade. And she's like, yeah, Mm. this is his first time dealing with, or, like, understanding what death is. And uh, I'm a Virgo. I'm a little judgy. It's my flaw. (laughs) I know what my weaknesses are. But right away, I was like, isn't that a little too, I didn't say this, but I thought, like, isn't that a little too old to, like, know what death is right now? (laughs) Because, yeah, I feel like that's, like, the older you get, the more traumatizing it is.
0: Mhm. And then you can also get the fear of death. Like there's people who oh, do not yeah. leave their home because they are terrified of dying and they think if they leave their house they're gonna die. Mm-hmm. So there really has to be like a healthy way of approaching the topic with children kids growing up for sure another thing was you should always give the child the option to go don't like make that decision for them that oh they're not ready or oh no this you should always give the child the option Mm -hmm. if they want to go you know it's their chance to say goodbye or or whatever or actually get to experience firsthand what funerals are and what death is yeah so
1: yeah i remember i was babysitting a friend's um, little girl one day and i don't know how but a lizard got into the house and died like, it just, like, Aww. dried up or whatever, and we were, we made, like, this little um, palette on the ground because we were watching movies, and I looked over, and she's like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know, and I picked it up, and I, she she's like, it's a lizard, and I'm like, oh, no, like, I think, yeah, it's a lizard, and I can't remember if I said it died or something, but I, it was at that moment I knew she didn't know what death was, Cause she's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's sleeping. Maybe if we put him outside, yeah. he'll wake back up. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good um, idea. Let's just leave him out there. And I was like, oh <laughs> shit. Like she, cause she was little. She's like three. Yeah. She was three yeah, at and the time. That's... And I was like, ooh, like I don't want to have this conversation. And then she's like, oh, read me a book. And she found one of my books and it's, a, it's ooh, I can't talk. It's a children's book. But it's um, Miguel and the guitar. Miguel, I forgot what the name is. But it's basically Coco. It's based off of Coco. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't seen Coco, um, it's about, you know, death and the de other los Muertos. And so then again, the theme of death came up because he's at a cemetery. And I'm just like, oh, let's just yeah. <laughs> wait for your mom to get here. Cause- yeah. I don't know I yeah it was like one of those like shit like when I have kids we're gonna have to have this conversation
0: they're gonna Mm -hmm. have to learn so yeah and I hate to say that pets are like a good way but I mean yeah (laughs) I want to say the easiest like because it's not
1: easy to lose a pet but no it yeah that's probably gonna
0: be their first encounter with
1: it please let that be
0: (laughs) yeah but, yeah, that's, that's that topic. <laughs> so what
1: did, um, like, what did your class say? Like, just the, like, um, God, I can't even, like, form thoughts right now. Yeah, the, just that overview of when to introduce it to a
0: child, like, not backtracking and. Well, a lot of people said funerals were actually their first memory. Mm. So they kind of went into, like, oh, after that moment, I kind of understood that death is death and that's that. And then you kind of get the flip side of people who were, like, oh no, like, it took me a long time to understand what death was. So, there's always that, like, flip side to how you're told mm-hmm. and whatnot, so. But no, everyone kind of seemed to, like, when she, uh, when our teacher went over, kind of, like, you don't want to unteach them something. It kind of looked like there was light bulbs and everybody that was, like, oh, that's that's true, like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they were kind of, like, applying it to themselves. Like, I could see everyone's face when that went off and they were, like, oh, yep, that makes sense. So. <laughs> yeah. And I had never thought about it either. Like, i wasn't something that I'm like how would I tell a child that so yeah it was really interesting Hmm.
1: yeah no it is um it's an important topic to think about and to discuss and be prepared for
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah
1: but there's a whole class on it you said right yeah there's a whole death
0: death on the psychology which i'm excited for big time but i mean there's gonna be a lot of terms i'm gonna have to learn so no but (laughs) i'm I'm really excited to get into it because i was originally going to school to be a therapist so psychology and everything like that and that did not pan out clearly so (laughs)
1: hey that's all right you're gonna you're gonna learn a little bit of it now and i'm sure you'll be able to apply um all of those practices to be like an exceptional like funeral director that is the plan Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) but yeah that's pretty much it unless you have something else to add but no that was great i loved
1: everything everything about the episode did a good job thank
0: you all right guys well thank you for tuning in to episode 31 all our resources will be on boozepodcast.com. Uh, there is a link to a Google document with everything on there. So mm-hmm. take a deep dive. And please, if
1: you need help looking for something or want to add or want to just tell us your experience with any of the topics, hopefully not um, body snatching, but if so, <laughs> let us know. And <laughs> you can always slide into those DMs. We'll be waiting.
0: And we have a Gmail that I completely forgot. Oh, yeah.
1: We, I, I feel like social media is just... Easier, but we also mm-hmm. have our email linked to our social
0: media. So, yeah, and you can find you can directly contact us through boozepodcast.com too. Like, if you scroll down to the main page, there's a contact us, so you can just fill that out and we'll get it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know where to find you us. You can find us at Booze podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll have a good one. Bye. Bye.